welcome back to the Millennial Ag Podcast, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Catherine Lotspeech and Valine Likely. So Val, uh, you want to tell us the breaking news for this week? Yeah, I believe it was Wednesday. Uh, Kansas, the oldest active ag gag law was deemed unconstitutional by unconstitutional by the U.S. District Court in Kansas. So I kind of had my my head spinning and this week and thought maybe that'd be a good thing to address um, for the podcast. Absolutely, it's just one in a series to topple in the last few years. Um, and surprising that this one, for as old as it is, that it did, that it was ruled unconstitutional. So why don't we go ahead and tell our listeners exactly what an ag-gag law is? Yeah, so an ag-gag law, um, I, while like the whole term makes you kind of want to cringe, it doesn't matter who you're talking about, it it essentially does not allow anybody to expose undercover video that was not asked of by the owner to the public. Right. It it was it was intended. Ag gag laws are intended to protect, um, particularly um, animal agricultural operations from from malicious intent by activist groups. So the intent behind them, I think, is great, and it's a great way for, or the idea behind it's a great way for animal agriculture to try to protect themselves against these ag- activists. Yes, I totally agree. Um, the The intent behind ag gag laws was pure and wholesome and and um, meant to to protect our nation's farmers and ranchers. Catherine, do you want to maybe explain why it was dismissed, though? Yeah, so the reason that the one in Kansas, which, as we stated earlier, was the oldest one on the books, it was enacted in 1990, and there have been, I mean, many states have followed suit since then. Um, this one was dismissed, as the other ones have been dismissed, um, on grounds of it violating the First Amendment, our freedom of speech. And um, and we should also note here that these lawsuits or these these appeals to the laws um, or however it works because we're not <laughs> lawyers <laughs> um, were almost all brought by animal activist groups. So this one has been on the books for 30 years and only got attention two years ago. Um, it's clear that animal activist groups are are upping their game and finding other ways besides just undercover videos or you know, Facebook shaming or whatever to to come after um, animal agriculture. So um, these laws have been struck down by district and appellate courts, or excuse me, district and circuit courts, um, based on a violation of the freedom of speech. And I think it's important to note here that we at Millennial Ag are absolutely supporters of our First Amendment rights. Freedom of speech is is one of the the rights that was given to us um, by our founding fathers. And we're all for all 10 constitutional bill of rights that we that we have. But I think that maybe the their videos and stuff go against our private property rights. Exactly. They bump right up against um, another right that we are entitled to as American citizens and as business owners, um, which, as you said, is our private property rights. And so often... Um, you know, these undercover videos or, or, you know, whatever it's coming out of these, um, private property rights have been violated. Now, again, animal activists are getting smarter and they're getting these, they're, you know, they're sending undercover people to be hired by agricultural, um, production operations, you know, dairies, feedlots, uh, uh, chicken farms, etc. Um, and so they're, they're sort of trying to get around, you know, 
um, some of the the finer print there. But um, I know in Utah a few years ago there was there was um, some major consternation because it was just after drones had become you know publicly available, and um, someone was using drones to harass. Um, a sheep herd in in eastern Utah, and it just so happened that that sheep herd was owned by a Utah legislator, and he was not happy about that kind of activity, and and um, promptly you know introduced legislation for an ag gag law in Utah, which was um, <laughs> struck down not long after based on First Amendment rights. But um, it's important to note that that. Uh, activists are are starting to use those kind of tactics as well um you know the airspace belongs to i think the federal government um and and you can't protect i mean you own you know the four inches of air above the land that you stand on uh, no matter where you are which is just my feet exactly (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and so i mean it you know these ag gag laws i think have been a reaction to some serious uh, threats and and um, you know bad motivations against animal agriculture, but um, you know we we thought this week that it was worth taking a look at are they the right answer, and that's a hard I think gut check for for animal agriculture in general because we we want to do what's right we want to protect ourselves but we do we do we make it law. How do we fight these animal act- activists? You know, and the the one in Idaho came shortly after um, one of the biggest dairymen in the state had an undercover video revealed about him um, that that caused a lot of financial damage to his operation, whether it was fighting lawsuits or people not buying his milk or processors questioning where his milk came from. And it was... Um, few I think it was that year that it was shot down in Idaho too by the district court and then a couple years later by the federal court so it it's happened all over the country um but how do we how do we work towards being maybe a little more proactive and maybe in agriculture we tend to be more conservative so we don't want as many laws or state statutes or regulatory implications but how can we maybe take a look at this, one, maybe renaming how we're approaching this and remove the ag-gag title, but how do we be proactive? Because it's not a matter of if it's going to happen, it's a matter of when. Yeah, absolutely. In this day and age, in the society that we live in, the climate you know, the, the climate of, of animal activism that we're in, I think you're absolutely right. It's not if, it's when. And we all need to be prepared for that. And um, I think that it's it's important to know what you said earlier, that agriculture tends to be a very conservative people, not necessarily just on the political spectrum, but in how we conduct our lives in general. And so that means that, you know, we don't we don't want to be a protected class. Um, you know, we don't we don't want any special special uh, laws or anything like that for us. But we do very much um want to protect ourselves, our images, our industry, not because we have anything to hide, but because that is what a sane and savvy business person does. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of other industries where there's also bad actors and, and you know, those need to be rooted out by other players in the industry. But um, we, 
we need to figure out a way as as production agriculturists to protect and promote ourselves first. And I think flipping a little bit back to last week, we get we get complacent. We get complacent with our day-to-day operation and we're um, fighting. We're so wrapped up in the day-to-day operations and this is what we need to do. This is how we need to care for our animals. This is how we need to make production happen day in and day out. Um, that I think we sometimes get complacent on who we're hiring, on who's coming onto the facility, on what's going on with these ag gag laws or with these animal activists. And and I also think complacent on who we're counting on to protect us from this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, that, that comes to our, you know, our, our, our industry groups, um, and, and organizations who we rely on to do the research and be on top of the issues. And, you know, sometimes that's just not always the case. The industry groups don't always get it right. And I mean, you, we need to promote and support them as well. But I mean, you have got to take care of your own house as well. You've got to protect yourself and, and what you're doing before you're able to do anything else. But how do we how do we financially, maybe it's an individual, maybe it's an industry, but how do we work towards financially supporting or preparing ourselves for these lawsuits or these things that are coming up or lobbyists so that we can maybe get something in, in statute? Right. Well, I think, I think before we even get to financial stuff, which we do need to talk about, I think the first thing is that we have got to try and be as perfect as we possibly can. And I know that that is... Um, that's likely to, to rile some, some folks who listen to our podcast in the industry because 99.9% of us try our damnedest every single day to do every single thing on our operations exactly perfectly right for our animals, for our business, for our family, for the industry, for the community. Um, but all it takes is just one time and one person getting onto your operation without you knowing about it and filming one thing that can be taken out of context and 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 you're done for, you know. And, and we've seen it happen too many times now. And so, I mean, we have, we ourselves have to step up even more. And I mean, it, it, uh, it's hard to say this too, because I know so many agriculturists who do step up to the plate every day, who bring more than, than what they need to, to the plate. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's not good enough. We have to be even better to protect ourselves and our images. And I, and it's really hard so maybe the standards you have on your dairy operation are different than your neighbors, which are different than the beef operation down the down the street. But do we as production animal agriculture against with all the different livestock, whether we're talking poultry, beef, dairy, hogs, do we have standard industry practices that are implemented? Not across the board. Not I know I know for sure in the dairy industry we have our own set of welfare standards. It's called Farmers Assuring Responsible Management, um, and that is a good step in the right direction. But I myself believe that it doesn't go far enough. Um, there are third-party auditors who work with um, individual operations um, to to strengthen those those guidelines and to hold themselves to an even higher standard. Um, but as an but. Across the livestock sector, the answer, I believe, is no. 
And I mean, this can come back to, you know, um, different sectors in the industry not getting along, um, you know, having having different ideals and different different goals that they want for their industry, which prevents them from coming together for the greater and common good. Um, but that's something that absolutely we need to consider um, leaders and and producers and just just people within each of those industries. You know, we need some sort of a roundtable. We need to come together and and come up with something that across the board for American livestock um, covers what needs to be covered and then that those guidelines are adhered to. And I think maybe a good step or a good example of, of attempting to do that might be the beef quality assurance program a little bit because we're starting to implement, it's very beef driven, but we're starting to implement some of the dairy practices because dairy cattle are going into the beef realm, but that that's their their attempt to start to merge some of that but it, it again leaves out poultry and hogs and the milking practices of the cows mm-hmm. you know and so how how do we start to build that community that funding that network across all of animal agriculture and do we maybe we don't maybe the answer is just no you have to you dairymen have to fend for yourself you hog farmers need to fend for yourself and you chicken um producers need to be by yourself but with these activists i don't know if that's the best approach no i don't either i mean i think you know leaving ourselves to fend for ourselves is is dangerous in the long run because we are all animal producers and we all you know at the end of the day the very high level concerns and and goals are the same to to give that animal the highest quality of life that you possibly can and then to ensure that it ha- that that you know it it is it is being produced for a higher purpose and and because it's the right thing to do um but i you know about getting us all together you know we come back to this in so many of our podcasts and we still don't have a good answer on it um how do we get different industry sectors together and i know that there have been attempts and and attempts made and maybe we just aren't aware of them right now but the thing is those tend to be on very very high levels like a corporate level or you know um usmef yes that kind of a level and and not not starting down at the grassroots level you know it comes from the top down and we all know that when producers get told that they have to do something from whoever's higher up they tend to get their hackles up a little bit so um you know i I definitely think that that is is one thing to consider and and um, you and I were talking earlier about about how how do you finance this kind of this kind of um, approach too. I mean, you know, one thing that we could do, and it's a little bit of a wild idea, but one thing that we could do um, in response to these kind of undercover videos or lawsuits or whatever is to counter lawsuit, counter suit. Um, <clears throat> were you looking up? kind of the exemptions for the first amendment yes yeah (laughs) so it turns out that there are actually exemptions to the first amendment and there's six exemptions but the two that are most pertinent to to ag gag laws or to animal activists let's just to animal activists especially trying to illegally um um you know take video or 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 enter an agricultural operation are um number one is lying and, you know, it's funny to say that in this day and age because, you know, there's there's lies to the left and lies to the right. And it turns out the politicians actually have their own special exemption for lying in the First Amendment. But but the First Amendment does exempt um, lies as being protected. And, 
you know, this, this may sound um, a little pie in the sky or like I know the industry too well, but by and large, those videos are very doctored and selling a lie um, and haven't, you know, don't tell the whole truth or any truth of what's actually going on in the operation that they've infiltrated. And then the second one is violence. And so if an individual's, um, individual's actions incite other people to violence, um, or, or no, not to incite other people to violence or to, um, lawless acts. So illegal activities, um, that also violates the, that also the, the first amendment does not protect those. And so, I mean, if you had somebody who got onto a farm and videoed people, um, and then that inspired other people to, to do that as well, um, to trespass and to, you know, to engage in criminal acts, um, you know, as far as letting animals out and endangering those animals, um, that is also not protected by the First Amendment. And so, you know, we could argue a little bit that uh, that these these laws being struck down in state and federal courts um, are are turning a blind eye to some some of the exemptions in in uh, the First Amendment. And I think it's 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 easy for them to do that because do we have agriculture producers and organizations there fighting for our side? Well, and it. It appears to me that while there's their First Amendment and while there's exemptions to the First Amendment, it's really up to the interpretation of the judge or yep. how well the lawyer stands up there and portrays his message. Because what you and I might portray as the exemptions or what means to the First Amendment is probably different than what the animal activist or, or my neighbor or your neighbor might um, think. And so it's really hard when we're talking about any of our um, Bill of Rights, there's interpretation to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's three sides to every story, right? Yours, mine, and the truth. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, I mean, considering... Considering these laws being struck down, you know, if, 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 if a state or agriculture wants to preserve them, they've got to get in the arena too. Mm-hmm. And we've got to be, we've got to be there fighting. Um, but the question comes up, in order to fight, we need two things. We need time and we need money. <laughs> that's what it always comes back to in agriculture, right? <laughs> and that's two things that agriculture producers really struggle with. Right. And so, I mean, let's start with time, you know, time, agriculture producers, um, farm out their time to do this kind of stuff, to be, to be aware and to be monitoring these kinds of issues to agricultural organizations, industry and commodity groups. And while I have had a lot of positive experiences with many, many of those groups and admire the work that they do, um, the last few years, I think that they've really fallen off on where, where they're supposed to be serving producers. Well, and it comes down to political lines. Mm-hmm. It comes down to legal lines. It comes down to whoever's in charge of those organizations and whether or not they want to rock the boat. And it is a lot easier to not rock the boat than it is to rock it. Well, and in, and we can at some point dive into to the funding of some of these organizations and get somebody that knows a lot more than I do but you have different segments of those organizations and different caveats that say the beef checkoff, which cannot fight legal battles. Right, no checkoff. No agricultural checkoff can. But each producer, their money, go. some of their money from each product sold always goes to the checkoff to help for promotional purposes. Promotional and marketing And purposes. then you have yeah. the political action um, funding, 
which are all solely personal donations. So not only are you getting hounded for the checkoff, now you're you're being asked to fund some of these political things, which are, I'm personally support. And then you've got your dues on top of it for local, state, national things. And is that still enough to have a presence in court when these things go legal? Right. And I mean, it, it, it comes down to to personal generosity, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in hoping, hoping, you know, let's say that in the industry, you know, a bunch of people are donating into the political action committee, um, you know, out of the goodness of their hearts, it's like insurance, you know, you pay for it, but you hope to God you never have to use it. And, and you hope to God that it never has to be used for you, especially. Well, well and if I'm putting money in too, and, and one of my fellow um, committee members or whoever has a lawsuit and we've got to go help them fight it's sometimes hard when there's something i disagree with them on and not necessarily the issue at a whole but all that money i've been putting in is it really going where i want it to go at the end of the day right and and i'm we come united out of that meeting and stand all together but it's really hard sometimes as an industry to swallow the pill the financial Mm -hmm. pill to know that my tens of thousands of dollars that i put in there as my insurance is going to help my neighbor who he needs help and I'm hope that he would help me too but there's some things that maybe I disagree with him on too yeah that's absolutely maybe he wasn't he wasn't uh paying into the fund you know and and now it's helping him out i mean those are definitely some of the more personal questions that would come along if an approach like that was taken um but you know those are just some of the ideas that we have to to inspire deeper thinking about these kinds of issues and maybe in conclusion, I don't know if a law is necessary is is actually necessary, um, but we want to get you listeners thinking about how you can be proactive with this. Whether it is financial, maybe it's sending money to your um, local PACs. Maybe it's maybe it's tightening up on your own protocols and procedures and doing a serious audit and and seeing what's going on on your own operation. Maybe getting a third party auditor out there. Um, you know, taking a really close look at how you can protect your own image because yeah, you pay other people to do that, but um, you know maybe they aren't doing it the way that you want them to. You are always, always, always responsible for your own self and. You know, having a law, having ag-gag laws, you know, it, it does bring up the obvious question, well, it looks like they're they're trying to hide something. And, you know, from our perspective in agriculture, it's, it's a protection thing because we know that there are malicious actors out there out to ruin, out to destroy, out to completely get rid of what we do um, for our livelihoods. But, you know, it, it, certainly the optics for the other 98% of the population look like like we have something to hide. Yeah. And we we've got to tighten up on policy and procedure and we have to we have to take a good hard look in the mirror and make sure that as an industry and as production animal agriculturists that we are coming united with our morals, with our standards, with our animal welfare. And maybe we're tightening up a little bit of our hiring process too. Mm-hmm. Double checking references, double checking that the people we're hiring are one, treating our animals the way we would treat them, and two, aren't these undercover animal activists either. Right, and to take that even a little bit further, ensuring that those new hires get trained 
um, on your own operations uh, protocols and procedures, you know, for hand, for safe and best animal handling practices, you know, that that's got to be in your toolbox too. You've got to have those written down. You've got to review them and you've got to make sure that, that every single person from, from the, from the owner on down is adhering to those animal practices, um, animal welfare practices. And, you know, everybody has enough to do in the day in, in production animal agriculture. We know that we're fully aware of that, but it's time, you know, it's way too easy to turn a blind eye to these things that will take some time out of your day, maybe for a few days a week at the beginning, but the alternative is being put out of business based on libel and slander for something that you likely did not do and that your livelihood is ruined um, because um, of perhaps a simple step that, that you didn't take. And that sounds harsh, but I mean, the first and best people to look out for ourselves in animal agriculture are ourselves first. And it's sometimes we don't, that comes across selfish. And I think sometimes we kind of get defensive, but we have to protect ourselves. We have to protect our own image and we have to protect an industry that we so passionately care about. Absolutely. It's, it's up to us. It is absolutely up to us as, as agricultural operators, as, as caretakers and stewards of animals. And we thank you listeners for tuning into this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. Be sure to rate us on your favorite podcast platform, share us with all your friends and family, and drop us a line either through social media, Facebook or Instagram, or email us at katherine at millennialag.com. Catherine is spelled K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E. Thank you listeners. (laughs) 